0: The artists are one constituency and the record labels are another. The artists could say, well, we might be happier if the record labels gave us a bigger share. And so the best way, again, to keep all of those constituencies happy is to just grow the pie instead of reallocating and trying to sort of tilt it towards the big player.
1: Hey, welcome to the Trapital Podcast. I'm your host and the founder of Trapital, Dan Runcy. This podcast is your place to gain insights from the executives in music, media, entertainment, and more who are taking hip hop culture to the next level. Today's episode is all about streaming. It's the platform that saved the music industry, and lately it's been the platform that has sparked countless debates on how best to compensate rights holders, the artists, and the underlying companies that provide these services. This has been a polarizing topic ever since the beginning of streaming, but these topics have intensified recently for a few reasons. First, growth is starting to slow down. We're no longer in the 2017, 2018, 2019 fast growth rate of streaming. Growth is starting to slow, and whenever the pockets tighten up, people get more concerned about how that current pot of money is split. Second, two of the biggest major record labels, Universal and Warner, have went public in recent years. And there's more pressure, especially from those new shareholders that want to see returns for the big investments that they made. So how does this all shape the broader questions around how big the pie is, how the pie gets split, and what are the best ways to increase that pie? So to join me in this discussion, I'm joined by Lucas Shaw from Bloomberg. He also is a frequent guest on The Town with Matt Bellany. Highly recommend that podcast if you haven't yet. And on today's episode, Lucas and I break it all down, all the facets, all the interests of the various stakeholders. We make a few predictions on how we think this whole dynamic, this whole debate, how we think it plays out. Here's the episode. Hope you enjoy it. This episode of the Trapital Podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Dice, where fans can experience more of the shows they love. Buying concert tickets can be exhausting. It's easy to miss your favorite artist when they're in town and fans have to watch for hidden fees and resellers who drive up ticket prices all while hoping one of their friends can attend. You deserve better as a fan. On Dice, you can find quality live shows tailored to you. Dice will tell you what's happening in your area and offer a personalized selection of shows. Artists love to partner with Dice because they provide complete and fair experience with fans, through their waiting list technology that locks tickets to smartphones. Plus, Dice's robust analytics helps artists better understand their audience. Venues and promoters love Dice because their data-driven tools, customer service, and direct connection to fans across the world make it the place to buy and sell tickets. Want to learn more? Check out Dice at dice.fm. That's D-I-C-E.fm. All right, we have Lucas Shaw here with us from Bloomberg. First time on the pod. Welcome. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Excited to chat. Yeah. This is a topic I know you've written about. It's something I've been thinking a lot about. I feel like for years now, the debates around music streaming model payouts have been going on for a while. Things definitely intensified the beginning of this year. And we're seeing more comments, more partnerships, but still not much movement. But every time I see this, I feel like I just always gravitate back towards the record labels and the streaming services have two different incentives on what growth looks like, what success looks like, and I feel like that's the underlying problem towards with so much of this. What's your take on it?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's funny for a while there, well, when YouTube first came around and Spotify and streaming, there was all this tension between music companies and streaming services because music companies felt like tech companies had sort of killed their business and blamed them for a lot of their problems. And we're always complaining about royalties and all that. And then I would actually say for the last five years, there's been relative like calm and happiness because music industry revenues have been going up. All the record labels are doing pretty well. The streaming services continue to grow. And now we've hit this another inflection point where the current model which has, again, worked great for basically a decade, has started to slow. You know, The record labels revenue isn't growing as quickly as it has been. And the streaming services, though they're still growing, they're growing in a lot of places like India, Southeast Asia, where the average person's not paying that much. So the revenue doesn't quite compare. And so he- hence why we have now a lot of noise over the last six to nine months around you know, a new model quote-unquote, for music streaming. Mind you, SoundCloud has been proposing a new model for a long time, and most of the majors just, like, didn't buy into it, and we can get into it, and I think to some extent that's you talking about the different priorities. And the labels are talking about, like, their own version of SoundCloud's fan-powered royalties. The labels want to talk about artist-centric, but they've provided almost no detail
1: as to what they want this new model to be. But I don't know, maybe you can decide it. (laughs) I think you highlighted the inflection point, which is part of this issue. We saw so much growth. Growth is now starting to slow down. And I think growth is also slowing down in this post-IPO era of the major record labels. You have UMG goes public summer 2021, Warner goes public the summer before that. And those stocks have been down since those IPOs or since since they went public. I think Warner's is down at least 16% or Warner's is down around 11%. UMG's is down at least 16%. And you have all these other actors like Bill Ackman and others getting involved. And they praised UMG so much when this deal happened. They want to see a return on that. So I think a lot of the pressure is coming into all of the things we're hearing, whether it's how much to charge for streaming how much, how that actual price is being charged, how it should be distributed. And to your point, as you mentioned, SoundCloud, we've heard a few things from Tidal, Deezer, others have been testing out new models. I think part of the challenge there though is, Those models, in a lot of ways, have been pushed as ways to increase revenue opportunities for the independent artists and the artists that are using those platforms. Because I think that's one of the big takeaways from these user-centric fan-powered royalties. They can add a bit of a boost to the indie artists, especially if you have a user that really likes them. But they haven't necessarily been as favorable to the biggest artists in the world. And those are the artists that the major record labels want any type of change to ultimately benefit. Yes, because we all know that Taylor Swift and Drake and The Weeknd are really
0: hurting and they need the extra 2 or $3 million from Spotify. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of the nut of the disagreement, right, is that the major labels want their artists, the professionals, the creme de la creme, to get more and more and more than some dude making ambient noise in his basement or like a young Dua Lipa wannabe or... I don't know, something amateurs,
1: essentially. Rain music is the Um, thing that I kept hearing. Rain music and whale music. Yeah.
0: But, you know, I don't know. It's like distinguishing between different levels of stream, right? And one of the issues for me, I guess, is YouTube and other services have sort of eliminated the distinction between amateur and professional. You know, like any amateur is basically a viral video away from being a professional if they want to be. And so I think it gets very tricky to try to charge different prices or deliver different royalties for different people. Not to say that there's not some innovation to be had in the model. I'm just not sure that's it.
1: Yeah. And I think YouTube is a good place to start with this because there's a few models that we can break into. There's a few proposed changes that are structured in here. YouTube is actually where... Warner Music Group's current CEO, Robert Kinsel, he used to be chief business officer over there. And one of the things that he was really pushing over there was this project called Project Bean. And it was a multiplier approach where the thought is if you start your listening session or in YouTube's case, if you start your viewing session with a particular artist or creator, then that person should be compensated more for the duration of what they lead to, and the fact that you might be searching for them as opposed to an algorithmically-led play, stream, listen, whatever it is. And he's ultimately pushing for a similar thing with the streaming services now. I believe it was at a Morgan Stanley call or conference where he had said, if you start your music session with Lizzo, then Lizzo should be paid more for that. And I think that's an element of trying to separate the weed from the trap they're trying to focus in on what they consider to be their creme de la creme to your point i don't think lizzo's necessarily and she just went on a huge arena tour but that's ultimately what they want i think that does highlight how not all streams are weighted the same but it's still a zero-sum game so if you're going to be providing more through this revenue multiplier opportunity you're potentially still taking away from others See, to me, that's the issue is that they're sort of talking
0: about ways to divide the pie differently instead of talking about ways to grow the pie. Now, they're talking about both, but I think it's more important and likely more fruitful going forward to try to talk about ways to grow the pie. It's also, I would add, an interesting way for music companies to deflect from their own accounting. You know, for years music companies got mad at streaming services because they said that they didn't pay artists enough and they like got all the artists or at least a lot of them fairly riled up and saying you know oh like spotify pays me you know a third of a cent for every stream and that's not fair but the pie grew by a lot every year. And one of the th- and so the music companies, partially also because they went public, as you noted, like stopped attacking the streaming services. But there's one thing that's always been true, which is that the record companies and the music publishers decide how a lot of that money is allocated, right? It's Lucian Grange, the head of Universal Music Group, who helps decide that the record labels get more than the publishers, the songwriters, because they make generally have better splits with the record labels. Now they push back on that and say that that's not true, I'm just, that's one version of how this plays out. The other thing is that, again, then in those deals, like the record labels keep a lot of that royalty money. So you could argue there's sort of the artists are one constituency and the record labels are another. The artists could say, well, we might be happier if the record labels gave us a bigger share. And so the best way, again, to keep all of those constituencies happy is to just grow the pie instead of reallocating and trying to sort of tilt it towards the big players.
1: Which is why we didn't hear as many complaints about this in 2017, 18, 19, when growth was just up and to the right. Everyone was making more and more, so there was less pressure on this particular issue itself. Yeah, and because I think to what you said, like a lot of these companies are starting to think about,
0: two of the three major music companies are starting to think about going public. And then you don't want to, you know, you
1: don't want to freak people out. Stability is good when you have public money, Right. And that's the other challenge that we often hear. So one of the broader underlying debates that we've been hearing about is whether you keep the current model pro rata, which pools all of the streams, and then that then gets paid out to the rights holders, depending on their share of those streams. And then that is a percentage of the overall revenue that comes in both for, subscription and then for ad support and then of course on the user centric side it shifts to the per user perspective and that's where things can get so wild and hairy because if i don't log into spotify for a month and i only listen to one artist versus three artists that i love come out the next month they're still all splitting that same $10 a month. And that happens for everyone. So it makes the revenue less predictable and all of these things. Granted, those are extreme cases. But if you look at that on a magnitude level, it can lead to much more variability that publicly traded companies don't generally like. Yeah. What do you th- make of the fan-centric model? I do think that if we were starting from scratch – I think that's the better way to go about it because I think we're now looking at fan-centric in this lens of how it disrupts the current model. I do think that if we started looking at things from, okay, how do you monetize that particular user, it centers everyone a bit more on the focus of, okay, how do we end up Getting that sole user to stay on the service, to want to stay committed, to make sure that we're offering things that they want. And I do think that there's gamification that would happen on both sides. But I think from a net positive perspective, I do think that that is the one that generally leads to the more fair outcomes. I still think there's plenty of issues with it, but that's if we were starting from scratch, that's what I would say. It's just tough now because yeah. we're now a decade and a half in.
0: And is there a version or are there other tweaks to the model that you think have a chance of
1: being widely adopted? Yeah, there's a few things. So I think one of the things we haven't talked about a lot is duration because that's a whole nother aspect of this debate. So right now, the streaming services don't clock a stream until it has at least 30 seconds of a particular song. So whether you have a... 31 second sleep track that is just added to Spotify, or you have Bohemian Rhapsody, each of those songs is essentially counts the same. I think that there should be something in place that compensates you listening to that longer song more than that. I do think, though, that the challenges you're still taking away from that. But in generally speaking, the songs that are 31 seconds mostly aren't necessarily to the same. Degree, quality, whatever it is of a song that would be, you know, that three, four, five plus minute range. Yeah. Although, couldn't that also benefit
0: if people would, couldn't, wouldn't people just start uploading like 45 second, or excuse me, 45 minute sleep tracks and they could <laughs> manipulate it that way? I mean, that gets into the other issue that obviously comes up a lot and has become sort of a big topic over the last year in particular is the idea of fraud, which I see, I mean, a certain amount of that is just always going to happen, but is, if you really wanted to discriminate against a particular genre or a particular type of listening, that would be the big one. If you buy into these estimates that like 10% of music
1: listening is fraud, you know, that's billions of dollars that are going to people who maybe don't deserve it. Right. And that's definitely one of the cons there. I think about the thing is, one of the things I started to accept was there's always going to be some level of fraud or issue with it, because I was thinking about the flip side. Let's say that we went to this user-centric model. And let's say that Spotify, Apple, Amazon, all of them were on board. What would fraud look like from that perspective? And the place I led to is the streaming farms would look less like these places that just have endless songs just playing on repeat, but it would be more like having, whether it's fraudulent users or bots or other people just signing into a service playing one stream from one saw or one artist or setting up an account and then going from there. And it made me think back to the CD era or even the tape era, where artists and their own record labels would go buy their own albums and things like that. And granted, maybe not necessarily fraud because it's just, you know, one distributor going further down and buying directly from the retailer. But there's always some type of issue there and to your point as well it could also just lead to 45 second tracks or endless tracks to game the duration day long playlists so there's potential issues either way cuz i think even with the current model granted we haven't necessarily talked about streaming itself and some of the gamification that happens there but all of these longer albums shorter releases music has always adapted to its business model regardless and i think this is another aspect of this and that could likely happen again if things ever shifted to a more user-centric approach. Yeah. We just need more people to pull a tier whack and release a 15-minute album. I know. Works for our our short. (laughs) I feel like Ice Spice is kind of an interesting example of this. I feel like all of the songs on her most recent mixtape are, I don't think any of them are longer than three minutes. They're all within two or maybe even a minute and change. So she's another one that probably lines up here. What do you think... How do you think this actually plays out, though? Because that's the piece that I've been thinking a lot about. Because since the beginning of the year, Lucian had his letter that he put out that called for a change. We've seen Kinsel and others speak about this. And Universal has also partnered with SoundCloud. They partnered with Deezer. They partnered with Tidal for a new model. We've seen these announcements come. We've seen these partnerships happen, but we haven't exactly seen – new developments since then. And I still have to imagine that it's going to take a lot for Spotify or Apple or Amazon, especially the bigger ones, to want to play. So part of me is skeptical on whether these changes will happen in the same way, because I think that the labels just feel a bit of pressure where then their shareholders and others want to be able to continue to grow, especially post-IPO. They don't have the same leverage, let's say, in video, where you can easily pull your content they rely on spotify and apple and amazon way too much so they're kind of squeezed here and they're trying to do it through public advocacy they're trying to partner with smaller dsps that have their own different incentives to support independent artists so and they don't necessarily have the technology themselves to go launch their own service to go do a disney plus type of thing and i know audio and video are just so different in that way so i'm a bit skeptical but what's your take how do you see this playing out
0: yeah i mean i share your skepticism until a major music company can point to an arrangement with one of those smaller independents, the Deezers, the titles the Soundclouds, and say "We've figured this out, and this is why it's better for us, I don't think they're going to have any success convincing the bigger players and if you look at excuse me if you look at the priorities of Apple, Amazon, YouTube, and Spotify sort of the, the big four, Apple, Amazon, and YouTube on the one hand could be persuaded because you know, they don't have a lot to lose there, but they don't have a lot of reason. Like, they're not relying on their music services to make a ton of money, to make them profitable. I mean, all these companies are under pressure to improve their financials, but it's not clear how, like, reforming the model to benefit major labels and or artists in any way benefits them. If anything, most of these companies have wanted to reduce the power of major labels because them them having a lot of leverage makes their negotiations more complicated. You look at a Spotify, they would like the major labels to have less of a say because it gives them a better chance in the long run of trying to improve their margins and reduce their payouts to rights holders. I think it's more likely that they look for ways to grow the overall pie because that's what would most benefit them. Which is why i think you know we've already seen apple and amazon raise prices it's inevitable to me that spotify is going to raise prices they're already they're now trotting out or about to release a higher priced high quality service i don't think those really matter but raising prices on the base service to me is just such a no-brainer i mean the idea that that spotify still costs 10 dollars a month is insane to me And then maybe there are other ways that they can make money from artists, right? I've certainly heard folks in the industry say, well, why can't they do more sort of monetize fandom and find ways they know who all of the fans are for Pink Panthers or Ice Spice or Beyonce or whoever it is. Can they find like
1: the most ardent hundred thousand and find a way to sell them more stuff? That last piece, I think, is key because they have better data than that on anyone. They flex it to us every year with Spotify rap. They tell me I'm in the 0.4% of an artist that I'm like, oh, I didn't even realize I was in that early of an artist. Or I got one recently. I was in the first 10% of people to listen to Post Malone and the 21 Savage song. And I'm like, okay, well, you're giving me this data. How do we then use that? And I feel like I've seen them float around a few ideas over the years. You remember back when Tencent was really starting to become more discussed in the West and people were trying to see if Spotify was going to get into karaoke or tipping or things like that to try to replicate that model. You have this, no different than any other business, you have this data that tells you better than any other company who the top Uber fans are. Sure, you're not in the business of ticketing to those largest fans. I know they've tried to do some ticketing on a smaller scale, but- beyond raising the prices. And raising the prices is still huge. I mean, obviously, you go from $10 to $11. You just increase your top-line revenue 10% for your largest market. So that's huge. But yeah, what are those other ways to increase the pie? Because like 17, 18, 19, those years showed us, if you increase the pie and everyone is just continuing to make money up to the right, we hear less of these complaints about people trying to trade pennies, essentially.
0: Well, I'll get to that in a second. I actually think that pricing like these places could raise prices by like five dollars over the next few years, and they wouldn't suffer much. I think we've seen it in video. You'll churn a little bit, but you can raise prices with some degree of impunity as far which would fundamentally change the business I mean as far as the fan interactions I mean look, there are people who have way more experience and expertise than I do who could come up with the examples but you know, all the noise around NFTs a year or two ago, that was really, or the idea of Web3, right? That was the idea of finding ways to monetize fandoms. We've seen it happen in Asia. We've seen it happen in certain parts of the creator economy in the US. There's no reason it can't work in the music business. YouTube has like eight or nine other f- forms of what it calls alter- alternative monetization, whether it's selling subscriptions, which obviously Spotify already is, or like super chats, or what, like, all of these different things that you can do. And there have to be some versions of that for music. Now, maybe that's not something that the top artists are gonna do because the incremental revenue just doesn't matter as much to them. But if you're a lower or middle class artist who's like struggling to, to make money or make enough, like those feel like no-brainers to me, people who'd be more likely to opt into that. And that can be, you know opportunities to chat or like take the idea of sort of fan meet and greets, but make it virtual take some of those things that happened during the pandemic and try to bring them into your, your daily life. Or if you want to give people like, let's say you're here an artist on tour and you want to give people like a sneak peek at your rehearsal. Like there are just so many ways to try to honor and interact with your most
1: art fans. I agree. It also makes me think of vinyl as well, because Half of the vinyls that are purchased, more than half, people aren't even listening to. They're put up in the wall as decor, as merch, as ways to show their own self-expression. And Spotify has the data that can infer who those people are that could be most likely to purchase that. So I think all of the things that you could have on the platform that could enable that, I think, are key. The pushback I've often heard, whether it's from people at Spotify or people that know the business well, is that... They've been hesitant to do anything or add anything to the platform that isn't directly involved with you or I streaming a song. So whether that's interacting with fans or that's having other type of opportunities or experiences, if that doesn't involve you doing this direct revenue generating activity, they're hesitant to do it. I think that it could be a bit of forest missing the trees there, but that's the pushback I've often heard. But they have been more than happy to experiment with video like eight different times and have it fail every time. True. True. I think back to the days where they don't push it as much anymore, but like when Rap Caviar used to have the weekly videos and things like that, you used to see them push more into this, especially with some of the video exclusives for the podcasting. You just you saw a lot of it, but you just haven't seen as much. Yeah, I don't know. I hear you. The pushback I've
0: gotten when this has come up is like most artists just won't do it. That it's hard enough to get them to like to show up on time or do all sorts of things in their daily life that they're not going to want to add a bunch of other things to their day to make a little extra money from fans. And while I think that's true, like I said, while I think that's true for the really big artists, I think it's less true for up-and-covers. And look, maybe there's not as much of a market, but I I think musicians and social media content creators have a fair amount in common. And there are certainly ways that Spotify can sort of learn from what YouTube's already doing.
1: Right, because if you're an artist that is native coming up, these are the folks that you want to continue to attract and build. This is how they're natively growing. They're reaching into their fan bases, and they're tapping into them. If they're not going to do it on your platform, they're going to do it on someone else's. And we've seen how YouTube's revenue has continued to grow and how it's become a much more meaningful player in music. So I do think that there's a broader opportunity there. The other thing that you mentioned, we talked a bit about pricing. One of the rubs I've heard about pricing itself is how the record labels and the streaming services would split that additional pie or how they would split that additional incremental dollar that's there. Because as we know from a high level, Spotify is $1 coming in, $0.30 of that dollar they keep internally for their own business, $0.70 of that dollar goes to all the various rights holders. But with that additional dollar, how do they then want to split that? Spotify feels like they would be giving doing the labels a favor by increasing that dollar that they add. They don't necessarily want to just do that moving forward. They have these agreements in place. Spotify itself has advances that it's trying to recoup from a revenue perspective as well. So how that revenue or how that recoupment looks like, especially if the model changes, but could be all in whack in a lot of ways. But from a pricing perspective, that's the rub there. So I think that we will see Spotify eventually raise their price. I think it'll probably be likely a dollar in the most developed markets. But that's the one rub I've heard. Spotify wants something in return, and they probably feel more pressure to want something in return as opposed to Apple, Amazon, YouTube, since they, as you mentioned, sit under larger corporate entities. So music is more of a customer acquisition and brand play in a lot of ways, as opposed to Spotify trying to build a real business around audio.
0: Yeah. I mean, and I guess the reason that the streaming services would want to change the splits is just to improve their margin, because I don't know, it feels like you could keep it the same. And even though they would still have to pay out a lot of extra money and it doesn't help them that much, like there also is an issue of just sort of fixed costs that they have. So bringing in incremental revenue should still improve margins for music companies. It should. It won't improve them dramatically. Excuse me, for streaming services, not music companies. But it will improve them. And so, if Spotify can take its monthly price from ten dollars a month to twelve or thirteen dollars a month, it's going to improve the business. Now, I hear you. Maybe they want to renegotiate it, but. If I'm a music company, you set a precedent that on those extra dollars that all of a sudden the split goes down five percent and Spotify is gonna push that, push on that for the rest of it for the next
1: deal. Yeah. I think there's wiggle room there. And I think to that point you mentioned earlier on pricing, we're right now talking about a dollar or two dollars increases. I do think in the most developed markets they have so much more pricing power they have so much more runway and I know that anything that is seen as a limit on growth especially because all these services want to continue to grow they are hesitant to do anything like that as you mentioned before the markets that Spotify is growing in the most are markets where they cannot charge $10 or even $5 a month for regular service but in the developed markets I think it could be 15. I even think you could go up to 20 for some of these areas. Like we talked about video and I do know that audio and video are different in a lot of ways. But because of the nature of the listening experiences and because I think people are probably more likely to pay for fewer audio experiences because it is passive as opposed to video being active, I do think that you could get away with commanding a higher price. And that's how even if they charge a price that's more in line with what Netflix now charges... A lot of these challenges, as we keep going back to, wouldn't come up nearly as much because of how much more money the business is making. Yeah, you raise the prices to fifteen bucks; fundamentally different business in so many ways. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I went to a
0: store yesterday, two or two days ago, and I just bought a bottle of sparkling water at a Seven Eleven, and it was like three dollars and thirty cents. That used to be like a dollar fifty. I mean, Spotify's music streaming more broadly is one of the only industries that doesn't seem to have taken part in inflation over the last many years.
1: It's wild. It really is wild. What do you currently pay? Do you use Spotify or do you use a different service? I use the Spotify family plan. Okay. All right. All right. Same here. Yeah. My wife and I are on a plan and I think we split that. It's like $13 a month. So yeah, I'm well below that. And it sounds like you're pretty well below that too. And, you know, for us as power users compared to how much we probably spend on video, I mean, probably at least five, 10 times that.
0: Yeah, I probably spend at least 80 to $90 on video every month across everything.
1: I also imagine the nature of your job. You have to stay tapped in. It can't be like, oh, I I don't know what's happening with this series or platform. I don't have a subscription. You kind of have to be tapped into all of them.
0: There are one or two services that I don't permanently pay for, but I do
1: pay for most of the big ones. Yeah. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. I mean, like we said, I think that I'd be surprised if we see any big movements here. But before we go down the road too far, let's just fast forward to where are we summer twenty twenty four? So a year from now. Are we still having the same debates? Has Universal been able to make any progress? Is Spotify priced any differently? And we could take each of those one by one, but where do you think we are with things a year from now? Yeah, I think prices for all the streaming services will have gone up. Like a dollar,
0: two dollars, or I'd say one or two dollars. Okay. Probably not more dramatic than yeah. that but I'd say one or $2. And I think that music companies will have gotten some of the other independents to like agree to test and experiment with different models, but there won't be some new
1: model that has replaced the current one. Agreed. And then do you think that we make any movement on multipliers or duration or any of those proposed changes? I think that similarly, like people test it out, but nothing becomes the new common standard in that time period. Right. And then big picture as well. I still do think that the underlying crux of this is that platforms are two different incentives. And I think if the record labels do see themselves as having the major record labels, we see themselves as having this HBO level content. If you are taking a step back, the best way to solve that is having your own service, having your own platform. I think that could solve a lot of things, but I could never, I just don't see that happening. Do you think that could ever happen? An artist with their own service? Oh, no, not an artist with their own service, but let's say whether it was either one of the music companies or if the majors came together and was just like, okay, this is our conglomerate major label plus service. No, they missed their moment. If they wanted to do that, they should have done it 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah. It reminds me, when was it? In the early 2000s, do you remember Press Play? That was one of the UMG initiatives. Vaguely, yeah. yeah. I mean, I feel like a lot has changed since then. So there were a few failed attempts, but yeah, I think they missed the moment. They missed the moment on that. But Lucas, good stuff. This was fun. Well, maybe we'll have to check back in in case there's any more movement here. But for the people that are listening and want to stay tapped in with you, what do you got coming up? What do I have coming up? I send out a newsletter every Sunday called Screen Time about business of pop culture, film,
0: TV, music, podcasting, and uh, a bunch of stories that I can't really talk about.
1: And then we have the Screen Time Conference in the fall. Nice. So, yeah, tell us what's the deal with the Screen Time Conference. It'll be, you know, an event in Los
0: Angeles, day and a half devoted to the business of pop culture, which is sort of what I cover and what my team covers. We'll have some of the biz- biggest executives across Film, TV, music, gaming, podcasting, social media, on stage. I'll interview them or one of my colleagues. That's going to be you know we have the CEO of Netflix, the CEO of Endeavor, the one of the people who runs CAA, the person who runs gaming at Microsoft, Issa Ray, Bill Simmons, the person who runs the Universal Film Studio, likely with a filmmaker, two or three other people we booked that I can't talk about just yet. And it, I think you know if you're interested in if you're interested in the business of culture. You should buy a ticket. It is expensive. Get your company to pay for it. But it's going to be an awesome event. I feel like, you know, there obviously are a lot of conferences, but I think ours will be unique in its marriage of business and culture. The way my team covers things is we sort of bring together a lot of different industries that are typically seen as separate. And also it'll be global. Like we have already one and probably one more international speakers coming that one of which is in music that I think people will be pretty excited about.
1: Awesome. Good stuff. Thanks, Lucas been a pleasure yeah thanks Dan if you enjoyed this podcast go ahead and share it with a friend copy the link text it to a friend post it in your group chat post it in your slack groups wherever you and your people talk spread the word that's how travel continues to grow and continues to reach the right people while you're at it, if you use Apple Podcasts, go ahead, rate the podcast, give it a high rating, and leave a review. Tell people why you like the podcast. That helps more people discover the show. Thank you in advance. Talk to you next week.